Hello and welcome to Overdrive, a program about cars and transport. I'm David Brown. And in this program, we take a look at the latest news stories, including the European Road Safety Awards. We have a couple of stories from Audi. The first is the launch of their second generation Q5 and SQ5 medium-sized SUV. And the second is a very clever upgrade to their all-wheel drive system. And in our panel discussion with Brian Smith, we take a happy look at stories, including San Francisco looking to ban delivery robots on streets. Have a question or a comment, send it to overdrive at drivenmedia.com.au. Now, to begin the program, let's have the news. Volvo's newest driverless cars have a large animal detection system. But there's a problem, and it's unique to Australia. The car's detection system is having issues calculating the way kangaroos travel, how fast they are going, and where they land. The cars use the ground as a reference point, but the animal detection system becomes confused by a hopping kangaroo and cannot tell how far away it is. Volvo has tested the animal detection software on a number of large animals, including moose in Sweden. But it is the kangaroo that is causing the problems. Volvo has been working on it for 18 months. Kangaroos cause more accidents than any other animal in Australia. The marsupials are responsible for about 90% of collisions between vehicles and animals, according to NRMA Insurance. The first deliveries of the Tesla Model 3 are scheduled for late July. CEO Elon Musk recently said that the new car passed all government regulatory requirements for production to begin two weeks ahead of schedule. The company plans to hold a party to hand the first 30 Model 3s to customers on July the 28th. In the US, the Model 3 is to start at around $35,000 and with a US federal electric car tax credit, could cost just over $27,000. Tesla says the five-seat car will be able to go 346 kilometres on a single charge and will accelerate from 0 to 96 kilometres per hour in under six seconds. Small autonomous police vehicles with a deployable drone and facial recognition technology will be patrolling the streets of Dubai by the end of the year. Named the OR3, the autonomous vehicle can also be controlled remotely and can deploy the drone at any time. The OR3 has thermal imaging, facial and licence plate recognition and stereo photography and can detect anomalies, avoid obstacles and self-charge when its energy is running flat. Identifying specific movements and detecting behaviours will be a major component of future traffic information collection and analysis. Already this type of technology has been developed that can recognise adverse behaviour, including people under the influence of drugs or alcohol, on railway stations. This can lead to intervention before an incident escalates or a dangerous action, such as stumbling near a rail line, is reached. The European Commission has presented its 2017 Excellence in Road Safety Awards. The subjects from each of the five winners were raising safety awareness for elderly road users, a national postal driver safety program, a game-based speed awareness application aimed at children, sobriety test technology that aims to stop drunk drivers from leaving the country's ports, 
and a social responsibility program specifically designed for drivers of trucks and buses. Dundee and Perth in Scotland have been awarded a share of three and a quarter million pounds of European funding to develop hubs that will encourage people to walk and cycle and use low carbon transport. The projects aim to provide sustainable travel options to local residents, businesses and visitors to the region. It involves a hydrogen refuelling station and the expansion of existing electric vehicle charge points and an upgrade to the electricity substation for ultra-rapid charging. A solar canopy and battery storage system will provide the electricity. To encourage active transport in and around the city, the hub will also feature new secure bike storage facilities and a public information kiosk. Technology is giving us new ways to visualise traffic situations in real time. Live Earth describes itself as a situational awareness platform. It now has an agreement with connected car service provider Enrix to bring real-time visualisation to the transport industry. Enrix has access to 500 terabytes of data, more than 300 million connected vehicles and devices covering over 8 million kilometres of roads. This will allow the combination of data from multiple sources including weather, traffic video management and more. They say that you can now animate traffic congestion over multiple hours at multiple different playback speeds. A very significant recent release of a policy manifesto has been the Lord Mayor of London's transport strategy for the next 25 years. This is not just a wish list of some transport projects. It identifies some critical key measures of the city and addresses what he wants to see as the future nature and function of this great city. Val Shawcross, the Deputy Mayor, takes up the story. The strategy will be the first in the world to apply the healthy streets approach to a city's whole transport system. Secondly, we aim to make sure passengers get a good public transport experience with affordable fares, modernised accessible services and less overcrowding. And thirdly, our transport services will be expanded and extended to stimulate the growth of more homes and new jobs. London streets make up 80% of the city's public space, so improving the public's experience of them is the most effective way of encouraging more people to walk, cycle and be active. We will begin by prioritising walking and developing a city-wide network of cycle routes. Londoners need to feel safe while walking and cycling, so we will work towards the elimination of on-street deaths and serious injuries. And that has been the news. Audi has just launched its second-generation Q5 medium-sized SUV, along with a hot version SQ5. Four of the top six best-selling Audis in Australia are SUVs, so clearly this is an important car for them. New looks and, they say, more features and new technology to make the all-wheel drive look better. Sounds good, so we drove the new models from Melbourne to Adelaide, typically on secondary roads, to see if they lived up to the expectations. The range comes with three engines. There's a 2-litre diesel, 140 kilowatts, 400 newton metres. Strong off the line with good low-down torque. On the open road it is adequate without running like a stallion. 
Then there's a 2-litre turbo petrol engine with more power, 180 kilowatts, and nearly as much torque, 370 newton metres. It runs more freely, giving more confidence when overtaking, for example. Both 2-litre engines come with 7-speed Tiptronic dual-clutch transmissions. The diesel is rated at 5.3 litres per 100. The petrol gets 7.3 litres per 100 in the laboratory tests. Then we have the HOT SQ5. Unlike the previous model, it does not have a high-performance diesel engine. Nonetheless, this one is a turbocharged petrol engine with 260 kilowatts and 500 newton metres of torque. It still obviously goes very well, helped by an 8-speed Tiptronic automatic gearbox with sports mode. It ran with wind in its hair. Audi gave a bit of a wink when asked if the hot diesel might come in the near future, which is either good news or I can't read non-verbal signals. The high horsepower is great if you can show it, which is not all that often. Fuel consumption of the hot SQ5 is rated at 8.7 litres per 100 combined cycle. All the models are very sure-footed on the open road at touring speeds. Vehicle noise is really quite minimal and there is a general ambience of well-constructed luxury. In recent years, engines have been getting more powerful, but vehicles have also been putting on weight with extra features and more electronics. But with lighter metals and better packaging, the Q5s are lighter overall, with the diesel engine model losing 90 kilograms. It all helps with driving performance and fuel economy. They have a new development in the all-wheel drive system, which means that you only get all-wheel drive when you need it. So most of the driving is in the more economical two-wheel drive. We will do a separate video on this impressive bit of technology. On the outside, it looks better, more purposeful and, I guess, a bit more masculine. The old model looked functional, but by modern standards was a bit bland. The new vehicle is 34mm longer, it's the same width, 6mm taller and has a 12mm longer wheelbase. Inside has usable space, except for the rear passengers when you have a big person in the front, and that's a common feature with the style of vehicle. There's some good driver safety assistance features with adaptive cruise control, distance warning, hill descent, park assist, cross traffic assist at the rear, and exit warning, which I like. That means that when you go to get out of the car, you don't door another car, or more tragically still, a cyclist. The interior has functional simplicity, but not adventurous styling. There is a good 8.3-inch multimedia interface screen and Audi's fantastic digital dashboard. The information is crystal clear, making it easy to read. The side storage areas and the doors are easy to get to, but not well designed for holding bottles, and the cup holders back near the armrest are cumbersome to use. The seats have been redesigned from the ground up and feel good even on a long drive. There's 550 litres of luggage capacity. That's up a smidgen, 10 litres, from the previous model. Flatten the second row of seats and you get 1,550 litres of space. A partition net and luggage compartment cover a standard with four lashing points. Moving up the models or picking some options can add features to your vehicle. It is good that most of the safety features are included in all models, but there is an adaptive air suspension with up to 220mm of ground clearance. The ride also felt softer on the open road. 
Additional options are a Comfort Package, an S-Line Style Package, which includes 20-inch Sports Alloy wheels, and a Technic Package, including things like a heads-up display. There are separate items like heated front seats as well. They are not bargain basement prices, but they are significantly lower than previous Audi offerings. The base model with a diesel engine has a list price of $65,900. The 2-litre petrol starts at $73,211 and the SQ5 is $99,611. To all prices, you must add on-road costs. After the test, we hopped into a credible, everyday new small SUV, but immediately noticed the increased noise and a lack of a refined feeling. So Q5 and the hot SQ5 gives Audi a distinct position of prestige, technical development and comfort for a price. There is no mistake though that SUVs are now very car-like in what they offer. You're listening to Overdrive. And we do some work with the Total Auto Group, including Behind the Wheel, who have a podcast this week. And here's what's on their show. We're headed to the Red Centre this week, Pete, the all-new Land Rover Discovery. And another of my favourite places, the Gosford Car Museum. We'll be taking a look at that. Uh, News on the all-new BMW X3 and some Blackfire editions of the X5. And Rachel Franco's got some thoughts for a nice personalised number plate for you, Pete. And Simon Lai lives it up in a Nissan X-Trail. You're listening to Overdrive. Audi's first production all-wheel drive car was launched in 1980. It was a permanent four-wheel drive system linked to the power of a turbocharged engine. They also developed a rally car that used this great grip and power. But a permanent four-wheel drive system uses more energy and wears out more parts. Dieter Weidemann, the head of Audi all-wheel drive systems, talks about the energy you could save. An all-wheel drive system, uh, many rotating parts, um, and 80% of the uh, additional fuel, fuel consumption that an all-wheel drive system has is uh, the rear differential and its big ring gear that's turning in the oil and the oil uh, wants to stop it and the ring gear is going with the tears uh, into the oil uh, and taking the oil, splashing it on the walls and the, uh, and the bearings of the valve set. So, um, the uh, really um, power losses in the rear differential. For a road car, it would be good to have four-wheel drive only when you needed it. Some old four-wheel drive vehicles had hubs that you could get out of the vehicle and turn the dial and it would disengage the drive to the front wheels. Later, this became a switch in the cabin. This was an all-or-nothing situation. You had to make a decision that would be in place for a long period of time and that decision was a time-consuming effort. Dieter knows that when driving along the road, the need for extra grip comes and goes. There are many situations in public uh, driving where uh, you have an advantage with an arbitrage system, but mainly these are only short events. Um, it's when you're accelerating, it's when you're overtaking, it's when you're turning. Um, uh, especially, uh, of course, if the road is wet or, or on a gravel road or something like that. Some manufacturers developed a real-time system which automatically engaged all-wheel drive when something adverse happened, like losing traction on the front wheels. Audi wanted to be more proactive. 
So we wanted to make a system that uh, makes sure that in every situation the all-wheel drive gives you an advantage, the all-wheel drive will already be engaged. But in the other situations, uh, we switch over to the um, fuel efficiency mode with the front-wheel drive. But for it to work, the system had to think and react quickly. So we are really uh, simulating in real time what will happen with the engine, gearbox and uh, body of the car within the next 500 milliseconds. So we make a uh, calculation simulation forecast for 500 milliseconds and we are calculating this every 10 milliseconds. Every 10 milliseconds the forecast for the next 500 milliseconds. And our um, system is so fast that we only need about 200 milliseconds to engage. And if we have a forecast of 500 milliseconds and only need 200 milliseconds, uh, we are always on time when we need it. Audi have now launched a system in the Q5 and the SQ5 models in Australia. How they predict your needs is not clairvoyance, but a clever use of information and a very quick response. They have 15 algorithms evaluating different operational conditions in your car. Here's how one of the algorithms works. When you push the throttle, um, it takes a little time until the engine has really built up the torque. The engine knows what to do, but uh, the torque is not uh, there instantly. It, it takes some milliseconds. And we have a simulation model, so we uh, know what the engine will do. We don't wait until the engine torque is built up. But in our simulation model, we know what will happen within the next 500 milliseconds. And um, when we know we are pretty close to the uh, traction potential of the front wheels, uh, then we will engage the all-wheel drive system before, uh, before it is really needed. They will even take into account the weather. Cold weather is more likely to mean wet or icy roads and the frictional resistance of the road, or what sort of driver I am. If I am a dynamic driver, they engage four-wheel drive earlier. But just how much, then, is the system operating? Dieter's team has developed an app to show what is happening and how often the system is used. We drove the car carefully over a dirt road. All-wheel drive was engaged 34% of the time. Then we drove down a typical two-lane country road in Australia. In 111 kilometres, the car had all-wheel drive engaged for just 6% of the time, but it had been used on 18 specific occasions. This might be locations of poor grip, tight corners or overtaking. Travelling 94% of the time in two-wheel drive means we have been far more efficient without having to compromise the safety value of having all-wheel drive when we needed it. This is Overdrive across Australia. In San Francisco, there's an official who, if he has his way, wants to ban the autonomous wheeled delivery robots because he thinks that they may conflict with young people or older people. Uh, these are little uh, eskies on wheels, in essence, a bit bigger, uh, that have the usual... Uh, ability to uh, uh, see things and autonomous uh, travel in that regard and they can deliver your groceries your pizza and a range of things brian do they represent more evil than they do good i think they do david because they're they're talking here about um them potentially taking vehicles off the road now deliveries are a big problem in cities i, I was just reading the london mayor's uh, transport strategy for London uh, and they have estimated that something like 60% of the deliveries to businesses in that city are for 
private purposes, personal deliveries of staff, not for business purposes. Ooh. So deliveries are a huge in, uh, demand and, and it's been driven by online shopping. Um, now, what they're saying here is that, um, you know, we'll use these little robots on footpaths to take vehicles off the road. Now, I don't mind if, if the city's roads are congested. I mind if the footpaths are. So I, I don't think that we should be encouraging uh, the use of vehicles on the footpath to make deliveries. Um, it's perhaps different if a person is carrying the delivery. I don't mind this. But if a vehicle is occupying a space on a footpath, then we're starting to get some dangerous blurring about what are the priorities of those paths. And with a, a boom in deliveries, uh, we could certainly see the the more efficient methods to be using these footpath space instead of uh, road space. Now, in New York, a lot of uh, deliveries and, and couriers are increasingly using the underground, the transit system, to make deliveries because it's more reliable than travelling on the surface. Yes, indeed. Uh, the book deliveries and things, aren't, aren't they uh, doing that? Now, the, the issue, though, is that an autonomous vehicle like this may well be able to program into it politeness. They're seeing this in trucks as they go down a highway, which they're going to put into platoons, which people think is horrible. How am I going to get past them or get over? Well, a truck will have cameras all around it, which is probably better vision than any driver could have, unless they had cameras and a screen, and you can uh, program into it. The other issue is they say that they're worried about them causing damage to kids. I'd worry about the kids causing damage to the vehicle. Picking them up and running off with them, or pushing them over. Certainly, in a in a city where, um, you know, a country where you have a thing called quokka soccer, you would certainly worry that uh, people are going to pick these things up and throw them in bins, or kick them over and just turn them on their backs to <laughs> have a bit of a laugh at them. Well, it's a turtle, isn't it? Yes, it looks a little like a turtle. Once it's on its back, it can't go anywhere. Yes, well, maybe one positive of this is these little wheel things might. Um, might mean that footpaths are completed and that um, the pram ramps are provided on every intersection. Well, the other issue then is maybe giving them capacity. If it's such a big issue, give them a lane. But again, I, I think the cities are for people. We should be, you know, encouraging people's space, uh, more space for pedestrians and cyclists rather than more space for vehicles and robots. Well, the issue about the deliveries, as found you pointed out in London, a lot of them are personal. That's because you need to get the delivery done when you've got someone there to take it. Yes. And so you get it delivered at work. If you had systems where they could drive into a little dock at home and take the... Uh, you know, dump the stuff out. I, I use the word dump advisedly. I mean to take, let it get taken out somehow automatically. You might remove an awful lot of those trips into the CBD. Well, true. But the other way to do it would be um, to have click and collect sort of locations at train stations or yes, some yes. other places where you know they're available at those hours. I, I completely understand you get home from work, there's a card in your letterbox that says, we missed you, sorry we missed you. Um, pick it up from your local post office and there's no way you're going to be able to get home at the time the post office is open unless you know you make a huge effort to do so. You take half a day off or something. So click and collect is, is useful here, you know, and there you can you can have the the um, the deliveries made to a central point and people can walk there, pick up the delivery and walk home. Or if they're heavy, they can be delivered a different way. But um, for things like the food delivery, it's harder. If people are ordering pizzas to an office or something, sure, that's harder. But I think we could certainly make better use of things like click and collect. 
you know that some young kids found that they were delivering pizzas by drone and that they were drones that they could easily hack. So they sat outside <laughs> pizza shops and I don't think they shoot, shoot down the drone. I think they just recontrol it, but maybe even shoot it down. You never know. It's a, <laughs> the, I do worry that we talk about automating everything, including people riding on little derivatives of segways, uh, which was supposed to change the world, but you know when it was a big lumpy thing. But now they're getting much smaller and lighter. But I don't want them. I don't want them in a pedestrian area because someone will ride faster than I can walk and demand a right of way. Yes. Mm. And now, Brian, can you see into the future? <laughs> David, this story has everything. It's uh, it's set in uh, Ontario, and uh, two gentlemen are sitting in a cafe. And uh, a car comes smashing through the window of the cafe and pins the two men uh, onto the floor. And uh, luckily, they weren't injured. The, uh, they were able to walk away unscathed. What makes this story fantastic is that both of the gentlemen who were pinned by the car were psychics. And, uh, <laughs> and they, they did not see this coming. Interestingly, uh, one of the gentlemen, um, his name is uh, Dijon. He's a magician and a psychic by trade. His name is Eddie Dijon, so he's not necessarily, um, uh, you know, a, a person with one name like that. But uh, he sits at that cafe, which is called Silk's Country Kitchen. He goes there regularly. He orders the same meal and sits at the same table every time he eats there. So I suspect that the waitress, the waiters at the the cafe possibly have more psychic ability in terms of being able to tell what he's doing than he has in terms of the the silver lexar that surprised surprisingly ran him down the great amazing randy was the bloke who was a magician but who debunked all this psychic nonsense but he was very clever in the way he debunked it because every illusion they would have, he would duplicate it and say, look, I'm I'm just a magician, you know, bending spoons or what have you. He just had the same chemicals on his fingers that he rubbed on it and it had an impact on the metal of the spoon and so it would bend in a, in a little while's time. He just duplicated it. And he had a standard check for a million dollars to anyone who could prove psychic power and no one ever got it. But well, he, he would do clever things like someone would put a book opened up with the pages stand close to it and with psychic power turn the pages well of course what they were doing was very cleverly and they developed the art of breathing heavily you yes. know heavily enough so what randy did was put ping pong balls between him and the book <laughs> and of course the ping pong balls are move if if he tried that trick all right brian it's lovely to talk to you thank you very much for your time thank you david And this has been Overdrive. My thanks to Dieter Weidemann, Brian Smith, David Campbell and Paul Just for their great help during the program. Overdrive can be heard across Australia on the Community Radio Network. You can listen to longer segments of each of the features by going to our website at drivenmedia.com.au or podcast the whole program on iTunes or your favourite podcast service. I'm David Brown. Thanks for listening.